0: Welcome back to The Doctor is In. We are entering our fourth year of podcasting and looking back at our start. We started the podcast during the peak of the 2020 COVID quarantines in an effort to continue to speak with our colleagues when we could no longer meet in person. Over the next few weeks, as we return to our beginnings, we encourage you to listen to our guests' most recent interviews after you hear their first, and see their growth and adaptation through these unprecedented times. This week... We're going back to our interview with Allison Justice, originally recorded in April of 2020. Truly, thank you for growing with us. Welcome to The Doctor is in Quarantine. In this podcast series, I'm talking to friends and colleagues in the cannabis and horticulture industries to see how they're doing during the COVID-19 crisis. You'll hear conversations about the impacts we've seen so far on the supply and demand of agricultural products and resources, how travel schedules for work and conferences have been upended, and how we're all coping with toilet paper shortages, or not. My guests also give their predictions for the medium and long-term impacts this pandemic may have on our industries and society at large. The general consensus is that it depends a lot on how long the quarantine will last. With that, I invite you to sit back and join the conversation. If you want to share any of your experiences or observations through this crisis, you can find us on Instagram or LinkedIn. Enjoy. In this episode, I talk to Dr. Allison Justice, owner and operator of The Hemp Mine, a 40-acre hemp farm in South Carolina. Many of my listeners probably know her as the former VP of cultivation for Outco, a vertically integrated cannabis producer in San Diego. She is well known throughout the cannabis industry for her research-based approach to optimizing cultivation practices and her willingness to share the results and help other cultivators dealing with similar challenges. I know that I have learned a lot. From Allison's posts on Instagram, teaching us all about the farm bill, about the in house research that she's done on everything from drawing to different LED lights. Um, and she has been an invaluable resource to our industry. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with Dr. Allison Justice. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Can you How hear are
1: me? You? I am doing great. How are you?
0: I'm doing pretty good. Um, busy as ever. Uh even with quarantine, uh, we are staying busy. Everyone's working remotely. I'm still going into the office uh by myself. Marcia joins me, Shaniqua joins me, and uh we're keeping our little vertical farm going. So we have we have a bunch of lettuce and arugula and some basil plants. So uh, yeah, we're ready to harvest this week. We're going to have some fresh produce.
1: All right. Self-sustainable indoors.
0: Exactly. Locally grown, (laughs) micro-locally grown. Awesome. (laughs) The question is going to be, who do we give it all to now?
1: (laughs) We're (laughs) going to be having a lot of salad. (laughs)
0: It's a lot of salad. Uh, Yeah, and not enough things that, you know, you would put in a pot for soup, either. Uh, It's a lot of lettuce. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? What's going on in South Carolina?
1: Oh, man. The South is a funny place, let me just tell you. (laughs) Um,
0: I imagine, (laughs)
1: yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's fine. You know, I moved to home, which is the middle of nowhere, and, you know, we've got close to 100 acres. And, you know, I live on the farm. So, you know, I I don't, (laughs) the closest town is about 30 minutes. So, you know, before all this happened, uh, it's not like I was spending a ton of time out. Um, So personally, you know, of course, it changed a lot. But at the same time, um, I'm stuck in the middle of the country. So uh, maybe not not quite as much as Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if I was still living in California in the middle of San Diego in a little apartment, you know, life would be much different than it is here on the farm, but, um, no, it's going okay. We're, uh, you know, hunkering down and, you know, like you said, staying really busy. Um, I didn't know how this was going to affect us. So it's not been too, too bad yet. So fingers crossed and knocking on wood for that to stay the same.
0: Is South Carolina under quarantine? Is every state under quarantine at this point?
1: South Carolina is not. Okay. It's not. Like a lot of things, it's it's slow to to follow behind. But, um, I mean, bars and parks and stuff like that are closed. But it's, you know, it's, it's not controlled. They're not giving out tickets if you're out at nighttime. So, yeah.
0: That's, that's kind of how it starts. That's how it started here in California, in Sacramento. And then, I mean, very quickly, it turned into quarantine. And um, yeah, my, my sister, she lives in Santa Clara County, which is at least was one of the initial hotspots near San Jose. Mm-hmm. And she was put in self-isolation two weeks ago. Already. Oh no. And her school is closed until May 1st. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So she, it's interesting. She was saying uh, this weekend that one of the things that she's noticed is how tired her eyes are because she's doing all of her work on this little tiny computer screen now and right. she didn't have, like, any face-to-face time with her students or other teachers or people, and so her eyes are really straining with all the computer work, and I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. I didn't even think about that.
1: Yeah, me neither. Yeah, it's funny. I'm actually on the computer less, <laughs> actually out in the field in the greenhouses a bit more, Um it's been nice, but at the same time, I'm kind of you know you'd think most people are locked in their house so their their inbox would be empty and i'm kind of behind just because i've been outside so much yeah Um, you
0: said that you said that oh i'm not really on email or checking my email very often right now
1: (laughs) (laughs) seems a little backwards
0: (laughs) Uh, so how is the farm doing
1: it's doing good we've actually made a little pivot you know, this coming year we were planning on planting about sixty acres of hemp and for field production. Um, you know, part of that, well, a lot of that, almost all of it, we use in our consumer goods, so the tinctures and all that sort of stuff. But then, you know, a big chunk of that is our trial garden. So, looking at the different genetics, a lot of my crosses from the year before, and you know, having people out to see how they're doing in the field for sales the following year. But we've actually decided that we're going to take about a third of that land and plant and vegetables, which we haven't done vegetables commercially in quite a while. Um, but, you know, just due to a few things, with one being the coronavirus, that's kind of one of the biggest things we, you know, it was a struggle to, to make your mind up to do that, but we did it. And so we're going to be growing a whole lot of uh, okra and tomatoes.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. It almost sounds like this was timely because, I mean, if anything, this is the right season to make those decisions about field and nursery crops, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So will you be, I mean, I'm assuming then as a farm, you're going to actually sell that produce that you're going to be growing?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll have uh, um, part of our crew. Will be going to farmers markets and probably little roadside stands and everything of that nature kind of cool kind of a a turn of things i mean you know i've been living in a very different world (laughs) being in san diego and then just kind of coming back and being on a farm but it's still being cannabis but now to vegetables and um i don't know it's kind of cool it's kind of cool you know especially with the the virus everybody is pushing buying local and you know supporting everybody around you and um you know with some of these I mean, who knows where this is going to go i mean hopefully it clears up in two weeks but you don't know that it could last for months and months and um you know we we don't really know how that's going to affect the the supply chain of food you know a lot of our food comes not only from out of state but from out of the us and so who knows what'll happen you know local locally produced might be more important than ever
0: i've been kind of curious about that myself i've been talking to some of our clients who are you know, vertical farmers, and a lot of them are saying that they have orders sold for the next month grocery chains, like they are just gonna be bumping. And a lot of them were startups, like a lot of them were just pilot projects. Right. Just trying to figure some things out before they built their full scale system. And all of a sudden they're called to action. Like they they need to grow some real produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is so interesting. Um and then I've talked to some other farmers who were really focused on like restaurants and small retail and they're hurting like they might be closing their doors for a little while because they don't have anyone to sell to because they are growing at such a small scale. Um, It's just, yeah, it's so interesting to me. And then to think about the, even the concept of quarantining States and closing borders to interstate commerce, it's just like, wow, this is, this is going to be hyper local agriculture and you know there's been this big push or pitch for oh you know indoor farming is you know is going to help with locally grown and communities and jobs and things and then you have the naysayers who are like oh yeah but you know the carbon footprint of transporting lettuce 3,000 miles could never make up for the carbon footprint of a vertical farm well, I'm pretty sure none of those models included a coronavirus. Uh,
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow, well, I didn't even think about it that way.
0: It's so interesting. I, I'm just so curious to see how this pans out. And it's interesting that you guys are growing the two crops. you're I have to ask. So okra. <laughs> Personally, actually, I love okra. My dad made okra when I was a kid. I think I'm one of the only people in California I know of that actually... <laughs> what okra is and actually <laughs> likes it <laughs> so I'm, I'm already placing my order for some pickled okra oh
1: um, my gosh yes put
0: in my Bloody Marys in the future
1: oh you got it yeah pickled okra is probably my favorite yes followed by fried okra of course, yes, of course. Um, but no it, it's a huge thing in the south I mean everybody has okra at least once or twice a week and you know wow. would more if they could Uh, it's funny when I was in San Diego, I, um, you know, I I lived, I mean, I wasn't in downtown, but I was pretty close and, um, but I had me a tiny little yard and I had vegetables all in it and I made a border with okra to my neighbor. (laughs) And when everybody was walking, you know, everybody walks their dogs and they're walking by my house and people just didn't know what it was. It was the funniest thing. They thought, was that hibiscus, which I understand the flower kind of looks similar. Yeah. Um, you know, is, it, is that marijuana? There are so many guesses. Just, yeah, you're right. California doesn't know okra.
0: No, no, we don't need to, I guess.
1: <laughs> you should, though. You should. I'm going to send you some.
0: I, why isn't okra a thing here? And why is it in the South? It must grow really well in the South. It
1: does. It does. It grows. Yeah. it's an. It, it likes it.
0: hot and humid. Yeah. Okay. So the next cannabis grower in Florida or Puerto Rico or Hawaii, I can just say, you know what, you should really grow.
1: <laughs> oh crap.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, how have you been keeping in touch with people in San Diego and California? How's everyone doing out there?
1: Yeah, I've been keeping in touch. Everybody seems mad that the beaches are close. <laughs> Yeah, I <laughs> which I totally get. No, um, well, actually, I, I talked to one of my buddies earlier on the um, I was on a drive and he's doing well. I mean, yeah, I think everybody's pretty much in the same boat. Um, just the the uh, the big question mark is what I guess is driving a lot of people crazy. You know, just how long is this going to last? How How much is it really going to affect us more than it already has? Um yeah, who knows and uh, I, I don't know. I mean, what what about you guys? I know you're you're staying busy, but um have you heard if any of the states who maybe was granting licenses have have stopped or kind of put that on pause?
0: No, not necessarily. Um I mean, we I just had a conversation like a week ago with a potential client who was asking questions about how best to uh, submit their application for a license. And this was in Illinois uh, to talk and and what some of the HVAC related considerations should be because he wanted to, you know, sound intelligent and put up, you know, his, his best forward. And, you know, that was just a week ago. And then uh, maybe a day later, I got an email from somebody else asking a similar question, wanting to talk to me about an application process. And I'm like, okay, well, they don't think that this is slowing down necessarily. And I mean, our clients, you know, I mentioned a little bit about the vertical farming clients and that they're generally doing pretty good. I mean, I've had a couple of clients, even outside of the US in Europe who are saying that uh, that this crisis is actually motivating their investors to move even more quickly on their vertical farm projects because oh. they see a huge opportunity with this whole idea of locally grown um, and being you know self sustainable and resilient and all that kind of good stuff with cannabis. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not seeing a slowdown at all. Uh, we're still fielding questions. we're still getting new projects, greenhouses and indoors all over the country. our Our current projects are still moving along. I mean, I've touched base with everyone to say, okay, you know, do you think that this project is still going to move forward at its current pace? Do you think you're still going to be able to pay your bills? you know, like all those questions because I really need to understand cash flow I need to understand if I can keep my engineers employed through this you know what are my options as a small business owner which are some pretty good options I'll admit um, but do we need it and so far the answer is no so we're really lucky that we can be busy and also keep everyone employed full-time and you know we're also really lucky that the work that we do we can do from anywhere. Um, right, so we don't have to go on site and and I'll be perfectly honest. I am so grateful to not have the insane travel schedule that I was. Supposed
1: to. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I get that.
0: <laughs> the last trip I took was to San Diego, and I sent you that video of me on the beach. And that's probably the last time I'm going to be on a beach for a long time. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> the last time that I am um, at a conference for a little while, and it's just um, my February was so insane. And even just thinking about. You know, could I have contracted COVID 19 with all the travels that I did, even just in February? I mean, the beginning of February, I was in Orlando for a conference, and then the end of February, I was in San Diego, and the middle of February is in two different places in California. So, I mean, you know, I could have picked it up from anywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's even just thinking about should I be self quarantining even before we were required to, the answer seemed like a pretty simple yes. Yeah, because I was exposed to so many people.
1: Did you have any symptoms, or you're just you're just thinking, you know, you you could have been put in that situation where maybe you yeah, don't. You're you asymptomatic. I was
0: asymptomatic, exactly. That I just don't want to risk it. I mean, I have a mom who is in her seventies, and she is self quarantined with my stepdad and wiping down their doorknobs and light switches every single day, even though they don't let anyone eat. Probably. Get into <laughs> 500 yards of their house <laughs> I'm just like mom really mm-hmm. and then my mother-in-law has stage four breast cancer so it's just you know and we're her primary caregiver so it's just like you know I'm just gonna stay away from all these people for as long as possible luckily we had already had uh, a ton of masks because of my mother-in-law so um you know, because when she would go to the hospital or we'd go to the hospital, we were always trying to really take a lot of precautions. So we were already stocked up on a lot of the things that people have been scrambling for or aren't able to get. So in some ways we're, I guess, lucky. If that's
1: yeah. What. Well, s- same here um, because of, you know, for spraying pesticides and, and oh. cleaning agents and all that sort of stuff. So we had yeah plenty of gloves and in 95 masks. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Um, not, not quite the same boat. My mom's not sick, but she's in her sixties and you know, she, she will not let me in the house if I go into a store without gloves and a mask on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've definitely been that person in the store. Um, <laughs> you know, cause that's the last thing I ever want is to, to get her or anybody else sick.
0: Exactly. Um, Marcia went to the store last week and She said that, so she went, she wore a mask and she wore gloves and she came home and she immediately took a shower, washed her hair for the first time, probably in 10 days, like normal. (laughs) And, (laughs) but she said she was just appalled by all the elderly people who were taking no precautions whatsoever. They weren't yeah. wearing gloves, they weren't wearing masks they were they didn't have like somebody with them to help them, like they were just you know shopping like normal, which is mm-hmm. so weird, I don't know
1: no, I think I, that they would I be the think. ones
0: that were most cautious, but
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, I went with the tractor supply, and um you know, I had my gear on, and there yeah, there were just people out like nothing was wrong, and they look at me like, you know, I have." something ridiculous on and you know they're mumbling under their mouth as I walk by and one guy even said something about you don't need to wear that it's only it's only that way if you've got something and I'm thinking well what if I am asymptomatic and have something on maybe we all should be wearing masks (laughs) um and then he mumbled something about you know what's China gonna send us next I'm telling you (laughs) oh my god the tra- yeah tractor supply in south carolina i mean <laughs> if you want some entertainment <laughs> goodness
0: <laughs> you know i've been looking for an excuse to come to south carolina that might be the thing that finally here. <laughs> i'm sure there was at least one person there mumbling under their breath too like oh she used to live in california
1: <laughs> yeah oh yeah i'm oh, sure <laughs> i probably had one in my <laughs> one of my cannabis t-shirts on or something
0: <laughs> <laughs> even better It always gets the good looks <laughs> do do people know that you guys are growing him oh yeah yeah I mean, oh yeah we're in a small community
1: mm-hmm. no oh man they've okay so you're this is going on year three year one you know, people, again, would look at us like we were crazy. And, you know, if we smell like it, which is common, especially in our harvest season, I mean, you, you can't help it. And then you get nose blind. And so you go around smelling like weed all the time. Right.
0: Um,
1: and so, you know, we'd get a lot of dirty looks and there was so much theft, so much theft, people stealing it. And, uh, you know, what, what the cops were saying is that they were selling it as weed. Um, And so, I mean, you know, hundreds of our plants took out of the field. I mean, it was ridiculous. And then year two, um, it kind of cut it out. I mean, we we put a few people in jail um, because did you know that if you mess with someone's agricultural crop, it's a uh, it's a felony. Um, and so then I think of all those times I've picked cotton on the side of a road or orange. Are you serious? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they they got some serious charges, and so I guess people realize that you know we're not playing around. But, you know, that that was crazy. And then, you know, uh, a lot of people, you know, we'd hear through the grapevine, you know, people think we're doing this, doing that. And again, it's just hemp. But this year, it's like everybody just had a complete turnaround. And we actually sponsored my niece's rec team. And so the hemp mine was on their volleyball uniform. Right? Like, how cute is that? And like, everybody was good with it. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. And the kids, you know, it's really just the the parents that have this stigma. And the kids were just like, oh, this is so cool. We can be the hemp ants. Oh, it was so cute. That didn't take very long
0: for people to turn around. You know, it was because everybody tried buying that, quote unquote, weed and realized that there was nothing to it. And they're like, all right, I guess it really is just hemp. (laughs) Everything they said about hemp is true, damn it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... I mean, what, so I wanted to ask some of the questions that I had for you. So you live in South Carolina. So you already mentioned that self-isolation is not necessarily challenging. Have you so far found anything challenging, even as just a farmer? I mean, have you been able to find the seed and the fertilizer and everything that you need to be farming?
1: Yeah, thus far, we we've not been held back by anything because of the virus. Um, I mean, honestly, you know the all of the local ag stores are staying open. You know, they're doing things differently now. It's curbside pickup, but okay. they've not been out of anything. Um, the only thing we had a little trouble with was getting lime, and that was simply because there's too much rain in the in the mine.
0: Oh. Uh, all yeah. natural stuff
1: yeah normal delays and so no to be honest again knock on wood nothing nothing too terrible yet um,
0: that's amazing
1: yeah and you know we're not getting any reports of you know sh- we've we've known the local ag store you know for generations now and right. so you know they've they've said there's there's no shortages at least thus far nothing to be expected immediately so you know, as far as that goes, we're we're pretty good.
0: Do you do you think that? So I know you said you weren't really sure how this was all going to pan out, but I mean, you, you've switched to some food crops um, because you recognize that there's probably going to be a demand for that regionally, and you know, kind of goes back to your roots with hemp. Do you do you have any sense of whether or not the demand is still going to be there? I mean, I feel like maybe the demand was already in short supply in some ways because people are trying to figure out or trying to build the technology and the infrastructure around hemp. Do you think that this is going to slow that down or speed it up or have no effect? Any, any ideas?
1: Well, you know, we, we're vertically integrated. So we've got, you know, all sorts of arms that can be affected differently. Um, You know, right now today, the biggest thing that has been effective and is obvious is that our wholesale retail stores have slowed down um and obviously that's because a lot of them have have closed um and so that's drastically dropped this just the past few weeks next we got the online store and that one has probably quadrupled within the past few weeks which is you know great for us that's that's a Easy shipment. So as long as the postal service keeps working, um, you know we'll be we'll be in good shape there. And then you know we have the field crop with a lot of that going into our own products, so we don't have to worry too much about selling wholesale bulk oil. And so you know that situation is pretty much taken care of. And then the other thing that I was, to be honest with you, really worried about was our liner sales. You know because we have we have greenhouses um, in about four different locations in the U.S. that, um, you know, we're the breeder for. And so they'll actually grow our liner, the mothers and the liners, and we're the sales unit behind it. And, you know, I was really worried, well, you know, a lot of these you know, farmers we've been talking to that, you know, has anywhere from five acres to a hundred acres, you know, how are they going to take this news and how are they going to change what they're going to do because of that unknown? And, um, thus far a lot of those orders have gone through. And to be honest with you, more than COVID, the, the big problem, especially in the South has been, Ugh, the chaos caused from um, the federal government's regulations they put out. And so like South Carolina, for example, we we still don't know which rules we're going to be growing under. Um, and so is that Delta 9? Is that total THC? And so the the varieties that you would choose for one of those versus the other is significantly different, equating to maybe three times profit, And so, you know, if you don't know which one to buy yet, you're not going to buy it yet. (laughs) And then the other thing is, so Georgia, for example, they just release applications to apply to get a permit. It'll be their first time. And, you know, plants have to grow. They, They need time to grow. And most years by about February, the best liners will be sold out. And so everybody's just been having to wait and wait and wait because they don't have permits. And so now I wonder for those Georgia farmers, you know, depending on how bad this gets are, you know, is the ag department going to be considered non-essential? And so a lot of those workers go home where then their permits aren't even looked at because, you know, I would hope not. But, you know, it's just something that we think about and worry about because Georgia's our neighbor. And, you know, that's one of our. You know, that's what we expected to be some of our a big chunk of our business.
0: Wow. I mean, I guess if they didn't, uh, they could always shut down certain divisions, even of the ag department. So they could decide that certain food crops are essential, but ornamentals are not or hemp is not or some combination.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's scary. I mean, right now they're still they're still working. Um, but depending on how things go, they they may or may not be.
0: Well, you've put out a lot of great informative posts on Instagram about what's going on with the regulations. And I hope a lot of people are appreciative of that. I, I certainly would not know what was going on so much with the hemp industry if it wasn't for your post. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I try. Um, it's it's so interesting. And you know, I, I don't get into politics at all. And I guess this is just something that's grabbed me by the heartstrings. And so I, I try to stay on top of it and share as much as I can.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you think? I mean, you you've been on. Uh, I mean, you've touched so many parts of sort of horticulture at large. And you know, before the hemp mine, you were cultivating cannabis in San Diego. Do do you think that cannabis is? I don't know. Uniquely positioned to weather the storm better than say hemp for instance or even even other consumables in general like i just think about you know like what we talked about at the beginning with interstate commerce and potentially quarantining states and all of a sudden everyone has to sort of fend for themselves at a state or local level and the cannabis industry has had to you know navigate those rules and those restrictions from day one do you, i mean are there things that you know, lessons learned that from the cannabis industry that could be translated to other industries uh, that might be faced with these kinds of restrictions. I mean, it's so, it's so interesting to think, like, mm-hmm. one of the biggest challenges that cannabis has had is not having interstate commerce, but now under the guise of COVID, it's almost all of a sudden like, eh, been there, done that, like, we we got this.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think the cannabis industry, uh, marijuana, that is, I think, I mean, it's it's going to fare pretty well. I, I would think so. I would think so. I was talking to one of my buddies, uh, Josh Garavac, the other day, and, um, He's up in L.A. now, and he said, you know, for them, of course, as cultivators, it's business as usual, and uh, as far as their distribution, you know, it was still good. (laughs) He was saying, you know, a lot of people are stuck at home bored, and so, you know. What else else do you want to do? Um, It's a good way to pass the time, I suppose. And so... If you want to
0: gain the COVID-19, you can't keep drinking. You got to switch to something else.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm sure a lot of... There might potentially even be a lot of new users because, you know, they're trying to... Uh, make time, uh, make time enjoyable and, you know, in a house. So who knows, um,
0: with their kids, (laughs) whoever,
1: (laughs) after bedtime,
0: (laughs) of course, of course,
1: (laughs) but, you know, thinking about that and goodness, I, you know, I, I really hope uh, as a hemp farmer, they, they do not make that call. And I say that because you know, South Carolina itself has deemed um smokable flour and, and pretty much anything not extracted to be illegal. And so, you know, one of our bigger parts of the business is selling pre-rolls and smokable flour and indoor grown and and that sort of thing um, as a hemp product. And to do so, it's legal to do so and then ship out of state, but we can't we can't supply other South Carolinians with it, um, oh which is God. pretty, which is really messed up.
0: That is so nuts.
1: So, you know, if, if that were to happen, we would, we would be in a lot of trouble to be honest with you. Um, like I said, pe- people, it, it might seem weird to a lot of the cannabis listeners out there, but a lot of people like smoking CBD hemp. And so, you know, that, that for us would be a little bit different as on the concentrate side. I mean, you know, the majority of our business is in state and in the South. Um, so that one wouldn't hurt quite as bad, but, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of people's businesses are going to depend on the, the that in-state regulation and, and what their business model is based around. Wow. So yeah, it, it'll be interesting, you know, with, with Cannabis, you know, they're kind of suited to, to have vertical, not to be vertically integrated each, but to have, you know, a surplus of services to where you can stay in state. Whereas in hemp, you know, most people go out of state to do their extraction. Um, A lot of people will even, you know, bring in stuff from Colorado where there's a, excess of hemp, um, you know, oh. to, to South Carolina and then bottle it up. So, you know, it, it's, it's really going to mess with the hemp industry, um, not to mention every other industry. Um, but just thinking that, you know, according to what I do right now, it's, yeah, it, it could, could be devastating.
0: Do extraction products have the same sort of long shelf life we associate with dried flour? I mean, I feel like that's one of the potential advantages, also, of the cannabis industry relative to, you know, fresh produce. Let's just say, or ornamental cut, you know, fresh cut flowers, uh, for that matter is that, you know, you, you dry your product, um, or extract oil from that product and it can sit on the shelf for a little while and not be sold. But, but I actually don't know the answer to that. I mean, do do oils last for a little Yeah,
1: no, you're, you're, you're definitely right. Um, so just for example, we kept some of our biomass for about a year And I expected there to be some degradation or, you know, something pretty negative about leaving it that long. And and it was in the shade, but it was not temperature regulated. And you know how hot it gets in the South. So Hmm. I had no idea what to expect. But, you know, when we tested it compared to when we first harvested, it was only about 5% off or or actually less, about 3% difference. Um. And so as far as extracting, it was good to go. Not that I would recommend (laughs) leaving biomass in the heat like that, but, you know, you obviously wouldn't want to smoke it because it was super brown and not nice. But, um, with that said, you know, especially if you were in climate control it, it lasts a long time. Hmm. And then if you extract it and put it in the freezer, I mean, it'll, it'll just about last forever, so, yeah, that, that's definitely a big benefit compared to, you know, picking a tomato and, you know, being on that timeline where you've got you've to make a quick sale. You know, we, we definitely have the opportunity if, if things completely pause for three months, we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't lose everything. We would just have to come back when it's over. So that, that's a, definitely a benefit.
0: Interesting. So when you extracted that biomass that had been sitting around for a while, Mm -hmm. did you, so you said you only lost like 3%, but was the extraction somehow faster? Like I feel like with more stuff broken down or with it dehydrated more potentially, I mean, did it kind of leave behind more of the oils and less of the, what you would consider waste after an extraction process?
1: Yes and no. And so for us, you know, a lot of the terpenes were gone because it got so hot. Um, so that wasn't a, a great okay. thing. But, you know, interesting enough, a lot of the CBD users aren't quite as um, impressed by good terpenes as a cannabis user would be. And so today in time, that's not that big a deal. But, you know, we we do CO2 extraction. And so interestingly enough, when you decarboxylate flour, it has better extraction efficiency. And so because it sat so long in the heat, it did decarboxylate. And so, um, you know, when you're looking at the nitty gritty numbers of um, extraction efficiency, that was better. I mean, that that wasn't planned per se, but it it was better.
0: Hmm. I love serendipity. I love learning new things from chance. (laughs) For sure. So when's your next trip? No.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm going downstairs in a little while. I'm gonna have some supper.
0: (laughs) So do you have any predictions for what all is gonna transpire out of this? I mean, for any of the industries that you've been involved with, or just I mean, socially in general. Um do you think we're going to be for the better, for the worse? Do you have high hopes or I don't know?
1: Um, <laughs> it's funny. I've I've got so timid by making predictions, being in the hemp industry and all oh, the regulations that. that keep getting ripped from under me. Um, and this is a safe
0: space.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Predict yeah. about
0: something else. Predict about Easter lilies or something.
1: <laughs> Easter lilies. <laughs> Yeah, the irises are about to come up. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> no, but I don't know. I, I think there's going to be negatives and positives. You know, I, I think a lot of people are going to be germaphobes after this oh, for yeah. good reason. Um, and I can't decide if that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing yet. You know, a lot of people do need to be more more clean. Sure. <laughs> you know, I don't think probably most people don't know how to wash their hands correctly prior to this. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you know, there's a lot of people that were already super germaphobes and you know what's it going to do to that population (laughs) you know and then on the other hand it's you know i I think a lot of things will go to to digital now i I think apps are going to explode you know actual dollars people aren't going to want to um touch just because they're touched so much which makes sense um but I, i think in general you know hopefully it'll it'll you know, leave an imprint of how we can not, how we can get by without being so wasteful. Yeah. I mean, just talking about the tiniest things. Of you know, I, I would used to let a lot of my leftovers go to waste, and now I make sure to eat them all because mm-hmm. I don't want to have to go to the grocery store quite as much. Yep. And you know, like like you, not not necessarily even need, needing to to travel as much, or you know, a lot of people are working from home and so you know what's that gonna equate to for you know more people actually working from home because it, it it works if they train their mind to you know to be efficient in that sort of way so I don't know it could be pretty good thing for the earth.
0: I I totally agree I um a couple of points there one is I've been really fascinated the last week or so getting on phone calls and video chats with other people where people are are sharing their video of of themselves and you know, they're not made up. They're where you can tell they're wearing just, you know, they're wearing a sweatshirt. They're probably wearing yoga pants, if pants at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> the, the women have their, you know, have their hair up in ponytails or buns. They probably went for a walk around the block. You see fur babies and real babies in the background. Yep. And it just, it feel, it's so comfortable. Like, I just feel like, because everyone is doing it, that it's okay to do it. Yeah. Where, (laughs) I mean, we saw those old videos where, you know, there was a guy or a lady who, you know, is dressed up from, from the waist up in this video conference call. And then they get up and you can see that they're like wearing their boxer shorts or
1: whatever. (laughs) And it's
0: like, that doesn't even matter anymore. And I, I kind of like it. I mean, people have been complaining recently that, you know, the workplace has gotten too casual or whatever, but Who cares? Like, that's what you're most comfortable working in. And if we don't have to put up pretenses, then I think that we, there's just fewer barriers between us. um, If, you know, we just are ourselves, you know, the other thing too, is I, the job that I had before Dr. Greenhouse, the main headquarters was in San Francisco and maybe once a month, I would have to drive into the city from Sacramento. And it's like a 50 mile distance from Sacramento, from our house to San Francisco. And if I left at the wrong time of day, it would take three hours to get to San Francisco. And I would, I would park my car and I would sit there and I would take like a 30 minute power nap because there's no way I could go in in the state of mind that I was, I was (laughs) was stressed out. And the last thing I wanted to do was be around more people, you know, (laughs) it's just like, even if they were real people and not like car people. (laughs) And I just, and people did this every single day, Mm -hmm. you know, where they drove in for two or three hours and then drove home for two or three hours every single day. And (sighs) just the brain drain that, that, created just in myself like the 50 people in that office that's that's a brain drain of 50 people. You yeah. know, if all of them are doing that and there was one guy who literally calculated how many days he spends in his car and it was like 20 years. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. And it's just like if we can do this work from home, if we can give people the tools and the support to do it from home, like how much more productive will we be, even if yeah. we only worked six hours a day instead of ten hours a day? After all that driving, they're going to produce such better output. I have to yeah. believe. I have to believe. <sighs> it's, uh, so, we'll see. Uh, I've you know I've I've had people ask me to turn my workshops into online classes and training, so you know people could learn remotely, and I've pushed back a lot because. You know, I mean, I rely a lot on group activities and Mm in-person exercises. And it's really hard as a teacher to gauge the progress of people learning if they're not right in front of you. And now, you know, seeing everybody switch to online teaching, uh, it's like, okay, well, maybe I don't have an excuse anymore. And maybe I can find the time to create some online teaching resources so people don't always have to come in person to these workshops or it's you know, maybe yeah and
1: and and you know the computer guys right now are just <laughs> eating this up and oh, and computer. making really cool apps where you know it's easy to use and you can have you know just do really creative things like that even though it's even though it's virtual so yeah. you know I, I I'm sure that's coming and coming
0: well, I hope so. And I hope that they make my life easy doing
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, awesome. Well, it's it so nice to catch up with you. We haven't talked for a little while.
1: I know. It's been too long. I,
0: I still need to make it out to South Carolina um, and, I don't know, drive a tractor in an ochre field. Oh, yeah. 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 eat
1: lots of okra too mm-hmm.
0: of course <laughs> <laughs> all the ways you can eat okra from <laughs> morning till night for sure and hopefully i'll see you i guess maybe not at a conference anytime soon but yeah let's do this again
1: let's do it again yeah let's chat soon
0: yeah take care of yourself hey you too all right,
1: Thanks, all right. Bye.
0: Bye. That concludes my conversation with Dr. Allison Justice, who lives in South Carolina, a state that at the time of this conversation, and still today when this podcast is posted, has not issued quarantine orders for its residents. I was heartened to learn that farm supply stores are operating business as usual, and that the essential supplies needed to grow our agricultural products are not limited, at least not yet. I found it interesting that Allison and her family made the decision to diversify their crop mix this season to include food crops as well as hemp. During these uncertain times, I guess it makes sense that tomatoes and okra would have a more solid outlook for demand than hemp, for which the federal and state laws continue to evolve. Thank you, Allison, for your insights of farm life in the South.